This morning, if you uh, have your Bibles, maybe you want to turn with me once again to Galatians. We're in chapter 6 today. Just to kind of bring you up to date where we are. We've been teaching through the book of Galatians. We're at last uh, last two weeks here today, and then next Sunday we'll be finishing up. And as we've gone through the book of Galatians, uh, it's been, I think, a great study for us because what it's done, it has uh, helped us to understand a few things in Scripture that are that I think that sometimes aren't clear. Uh, the Galatians tells what tells us what Christianity, first of all, or the gospel is not. It tells us that uh, it's not about morality. It's about Jesus. It's not about being a good person. It's, being about, it's about being a transformed person. Christianity is not about obligation. It's about transformation. Uh, it's about God and his work in people's lives. That's what Christianity, what the gospel is all about. And go- the book of Galatians has shared that very clearly. And the culmination and the climax of the book of Galatians is in chapter 5 and chapter 6. Um, and as we come to that, like a couple of weeks ago, we look, started looking at chapter 5. I kind of want to kind of bring that to mind once again because it kind of flows into what we're doing today. Because in chapter 5, Paul described a conflict that goes on in our lives between what he calls the flesh and the spirit. Uh, he shares that, uh, he tells us that we have these passions and desires in our life. And these passions and desires, they motivate and compel us in life uh, toward God or away from God. And so passions and desires are not necessarily evil or wrong in themselves because there are passions. You can have passions and desires that, that drive you toward God uh, to pray or to serve or to love God more or to be a good husband or a good wife or to be a good parent or be a good friend or to be a good employee or employer. These are all good passions and desires that we have. But the other side of it is as well, as we have these passions and desires, he says even those who, of us who are believers have these passions and desires that come from what he calls the flesh. And, and he says they will lead us away from God toward destruction and death, uh, and rebellion rather than love for God and obedience to his word. And the flesh and the spirit, he says, are in continual conflict with one another. And the flesh is not our physical body, and when we think about flesh, it's really what he's talking about. He says it's a seed of rebellion that we have in our life, a propensity to rebel against God. And so Paul says that when our passions and desires that were working themselves out through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit living in us when we become a believer, that when our passions and desires are working themselves out through the Holy Spirit's presence in our life, uh, some things happen. It leads to a life of Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's the outcome of the, of the Holy Spirit working through our passions and desires in our life. But then he also shared in chapter 5 of Galatians, and you can go back and listen to all these messages or look, listen to all of them on our podcast. He also says that when our passion and desires are connected to our flesh, uh, they come out in four basic categories. He said, number one, sexuality. He says we have, when it's uh, passion and desires are connected to our flesh, not connected to the spirit, uh, we will have immorality, perversion. Uh, he uses the word, the Greek word is porneia, uh, where you get the word pornography from. That's one area where it may come out. Another is socially, in divisions and factions and hatred and animosity and evil and envy and conflict among God's people in the church. Uh, it comes out also in the area of spirituality. He says in two areas, idolatry. Uh, he says we can, it's, idolatry is loving anything more than Jesus. That's what happens when we allow the flesh to control our passions and desires. It can happen that way. And he also uses a term that last week we described as witchcraft. And witchcraft is not what we think about so often, but witchcraft basically means seeking to manipulate God through things that are seemingly sometimes even spiritual. 
The example of that would be that somebody was saying, well, you know, I'm going to pray and fast every day because then when I do that, God will have to do this for me. It's trying to manipulate God to do things for us. And so that's what he describes as witchcraft, the issue of trying to manipulate God. So all those things happen. And finally, he has another word he uses that's uh, not as easy. He says another category of things that happen when our passions and desires are connected to the flesh. And he uses the word debauchery. And basically the word that we would use today is it comes out in terms of addictions. Addictions. Addictions to all kinds of things. And, and, and so he describes this, this battle that we have going on in our life between the flesh and the spirit. And he says, for the Christian, when we come to Christ, what happens is the spirit is now in our life. And as the spirit works in our life, he allows us to begin to live this life with all these other positive attributes and to go away from the flesh, even though the flesh is still there battling it out all the time. And so that's what he's been talking about. We have these two sources of desire that are in continual conflict. Now, the question is that Paul's been talking about is, what does it mean to be to live by the Spirit? And what does it mean to be a Spirit-led person? And if you talk to different people, there are great differences amongst Christians about what that means. I mean, some people will say that to be led by the Spirit or to be a Spirit-led person means that you have to have some kind of mystical encounter or some kind of supernatural experience. But this morning, as we look at Galatians chapter 6, the first six verses, that's all we're going to look at this morning, I think Paul gives us a picture and illustrations of what it means to be live, to live by the Spirit, and it's much more practical than sometimes we think. Uh, and so as we look at it this morning, it's an illustration of what it means to be in verses uh, 1 through 6 in chapter 6 of Galatians. It's an illustration of what it means to be spirit-led, a spirit-led person living in community with other believers. What does that look like? And as we're spirit-led, what does it lead us to do and to be as persons? What does it mean? And it really illustrates the passage we've talked about so many times where it says, God says uh, to us, he said, what is the two main things that we're to do? We're to love God and we're to love who else? People, okay? Yeah, I, I knew you knew it. It wasn't, you know, but the issue is we have a balloon floating in here. That's kind of funky. Okay, if it floats over your head, I just got distracted by the pink balloon over there. So it's like, oh, ADD. No, um, Okay, if anybody wants to, you know, get rid of that, you can. Okay, <clears throat> do not let it distract you. Thank you. Way to go, Mr. Lee. Mr. Lee. <laughs> you know, just as you went toward it, it took off into the heavens. It was, it was like I just said you could take care of it. Then all of a sudden, it floated to the ceiling. So I don't know what the deal is in a demon balloon. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> okay. Where were we? Okay. <laughs> it doesn't take much to get us off track, does it? <laughs> okay. Turn to chapter 6 of Galatians, and let's look at what it has to say to us about what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, uh, this morning in the announcements, one of the things we talked about is this thing called the stack, Snack Pack Ministry, where this past year, last year we helped about 23 kids, I understand, exactly 23 kids, in the Metamore School District. This year we've expanded that between Metamore uh, School District, Germantown Schools District, and the high school, and we're helping about almost 80 kids this year. And so there is a greater need, so I just kind of second announcement on that announcement. Um, but that's true. And we always think of loving people, loving our neighbors ourselves. The first thing we usually think about is what? Physical needs. We think about helping people with physical needs. 
But this morning as we look at Scripture, I think we're going to be challenged to think a little bit beyond that. I mean, yes, important. One of the aspects of loving our neighbor as ourself is to love and to meet physical needs. But Paul says uh, you're also to help persons with their spiritual needs. So if you have your Bible, turn with me and we'll look at Galatians. Begin with chapter chapter 6, verse 1. It says this in, in verse 1. Brothers, it's talking about people who are, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ. If someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself or you may also be tempted. It's interesting that when I was reading that and I was studying this passage, the word should there, it doesn't sound very strong, does it? You should, like, well, you know, if, if you think about it, do this. But that's not what it says in the Greek. The Greek is a much stronger, it's a command. It's not saying we should do this. It, it, you could almost leave the word out. It says, you who are spiritual, restore him gently. That's, that's the emphasis there. And it's, this is not necessarily just a, a suggestion. It says those who, persons who were spirit-led, who, who the spirit now lives in them, one of the tasks when you live in community with other people, community of, of brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the things you need to do is to restore them gently if they're in sin. Uh, and I think sometimes we have missed this because we think that if we confront someone about their sin, we're judging them. We do. We think that sometimes. If we confront someone about their sin, we're judging them. Because doesn't it say in Scripture we're not to judge others? Yeah, it says that. But we have to understand the context. Because uh, the, the Bible says, and the Bible says not to judge. And we think, well, to judge people must not be loving. And remember a couple of weeks ago I talked about this thing that the Bible says in First John about that God is love. But the other side of that is that love is not God. And I hope you thought about that. Because what that means is so often, and I was talking about that, so often we have this understanding, we've placed upon God and, and, and our understanding of what it means to love people, this cultural understanding of love, and we say love is God, but no, love is not God. God is love. It means that anything God does is loving. Not anything we think about love, we could put it upon God, and then we follow it as Christians. No. God rebukes people. He he he's, He does things for them to help them out along the way to get back on track. And so here, when we understand this and we, we say, well, you know, I don't want to, uh, you know, help somebody who's caught in sin because that would be judging. Let me explain what judging is, according to Scripture. Judging a person is when you form an opinion about something they're doing and you know something about what they're doing, but you do nothing. That's judging. Do I need to say that again? Judging is when you know that someone is in sin, a brother or sister in Christ. We're not talking about the general population. We're talking about here a relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And we know something's going down in their life. And we're close enough to them to know that's what's going down. And it's something that's affecting their life in a negative way, sending them away from God. And we do nothing. That's judging. But what Paul is talking about here in Galatians is he's saying to us that we have this responsibility because when the Spirit lives in us, we have this responsibility toward brothers and sisters in Christ to help them, to restore them, it says, gently. Restore them. The, the word restore there is, is a picture of mending a net that has been torn or mending a bone that has been broken. And it says we do it gently, it means humbly. We do it in that way. See, the spirit-led person helps the person. 
Now, I just want to say this this morning, and I say this in love, but the reality is sometimes in the church, uh, you know, people will say things about someone's sin but never do something about it. Have you ever heard what I call spiritual gossip? You never heard that, I'm sure. You know, spiritual gossip, what did you hear about? Or uh, uh, the, the better way of dealing with it, it seems more spiritual, let's pray about it. But you don't do anything about it. Okay? Now let me tell you how to deal with spiritual gossip. If you're a spirit-led person. This is a challenge for me and for you. Anytime you hear somebody say something about someone else's sin, about something in their life, ask them this question. What have you done to help that person? What if you done, if you hear somebody say something about somebody that's about some sin in their life or something, you ask the question, well, you know about that, okay. If you don't do anything, remember, judging is not is knowing without doing. What have you done to help that person? And a second question you can ask is this. How does your telling me help him or her? I want to tell you something. If you start doing that on a regular basis, it will cut out spiritual gossip. It will also be helpful. It will remind us of our responsibility to one another. Because if you start asking those two questions, the gossip will stop. See, the most loving thing to do for a person is, is to come alongside of the person and to help them. Don't let them ruin their life. And then the word here also in the verse, it says, it says if someone is caught in a sin, it's kind of an interesting, interesting, uh, uh way of the words are put together here in the original languages. It, it's kind of meaning that it's not premeditated. It's kind of like, well, temptation overcame the person and they, and they made a choice. Now, I want to say to you when I say that, that every time you sin, whether you fell into sin or you were tempted into sin, you're still responsible for your choices. Always. But a lot of times in life, it wasn't like this long premeditation. Well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start looking at pornography. This is give an example. It was allowing your resistance to break down little bit by little bit by little bit. You were caught in the sin. That's what the picture is here. And I believe that most of the sin in a believer's life is that way. We allow our defenses to be, we allow the flesh, it's what Paul was saying in chapter 5, but we allow the flesh to be in control there for a period of time and it breaks down and it breaks down and it breaks down. But every time we sin, it's our fault. And it says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says this, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, this is what it says, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So, when you sin, it's your choice. But, there are times we make wrong choices, right? We make wrong choices. So be, but watch yourself so you may not be, uh, so you may be tempted yourself. And saying, don't become proud because it can happen to you too. That's what he's saying here. The second verse kind of goes along with this and it says this, it's interesting, second verse. It says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. I was struggling with this and looking at this because the thing is, is that this is not the way we think in America, in the church. 
we have lost, in a real sense, the sense of community. You know, when we think of someone's, you know, someone's problem, we said, well, that is his problem, and I will help him with it. Isn't that our, the way we talk about it? Or her problem, and I will help her with it. But the biblical language here, it's, it's, it's this idea that, no, instead, no, it's our problem. When that person sins, it's our problem. When I sin, it's our problem. We have responsibility for one another. And we have this, so, this individualistic mindset in our culture that has driven us away from a biblical understanding of community. And so we have to recapture that. And that's what he says. He says, carry each other's burdens as if they were your own. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? To love God and love others. That's how you do it. You just don't, you know, we understand that we're all interconnected. And when one sins, it affects the whole community. So let me ask you a question this morning. Uh, do you know someone who is a Christian who is caught up in sin? Don't raise your hand and, you know, say, I'll tell you a story. No. Do you know someone who is a Christian who is caught up in sin? I would guess to say that most of us would say yes. So the question that goes along with that is this. Based on this scripture... What are you going to do about it? Are you going to make their sin your sin? Are you going to fulfill the law of Christ, that is to love one another, and the most loving thing you can do is when someone is walking away from the Lord, you help them back on track. That is the most loving thing that you can do. And I've heard people with excuses like, well, you know, you know, I, I have my, so much sin in my own life. How could I ever help someone with their sin? I mean, if we're, so that means you're going to wait till you're perfect. Now, how long is that going to take? <laughs> Let's just be honest. That means never. Right? But it gives a command here <laughs> that we're to help one another, right? So it doesn't mean that we have to be perfect because we have to go into it humbly understanding that we have issues ourselves. But it says we need each other. We're in a community of believers. And when we live within the spirit, according to the spirit, not according to the flesh, what happens is is we realize we have this responsibility toward other people who are in the body of Christ. And then I love this next verse. I never love this next verse. Uh, Verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Uh, do, do any of you know anyone like that? Someone who thinks they are something? They're kind of big-headed, conceited. You know, probably all of us know somebody like that. Isn't it weird, though, how we can know someone like that and it's never us? Just thought I'd throw that in this morning. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that verse. Uh, verse 4. Verse 4, because it goes along with verse 4. Verse 4 says, each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. Without comparing himself to somebody else. 
You know, it's, it's saying this. For those of you who were arrogant and going around pointing out everybody else's flaws, you're judging because you're not doing anything about it other than pointing it out. It says, why don't you test your own actions? But don't do it against other people. That's what it says. Not against other people. So where do you, te- where do you test them against? Against God's word. So if you think you're so, you know, with it, you're so holy and so righteous is what it's saying here. It's saying, hey, test yourself in light of God. Because we always go around and compare ourselves to other people. And I want to tell you this, when we compare ourselves to other people, you will always find somebody that you will look good up against. I mean, it's kind of the game that people play when they come to me for marital counseling. They're, they're always, it's almost without a doubt that they always play this game. You know, it's, it's like, well, oh yeah, you should have seen what he did. Or what she did. I mean, I hear that all the time. And so we compare to other people things that they have done to justify our actions. But Paul says, if you're really that proud, test your actions in light of God. If you really think you have it all together. So he's saying that's what he's kind of it's kind of expanding here upon that thing is about restoring people and doing it gently, humbly. And then he says this in verse 5. Uh, it's actually a, a part of this verse that's up here. So it's verse 4 and 5. The last part from the, from the comment there, the last one, is, is verse 5. I don't know why they put it verse 5 that way. It's just the way the writers uh, that put the verses in there did this. Verse 5 is this. For each one should carry his own load. Now, hold on a minute. Didn't it say in verse 2 that we're to what? We're to carry each other's burdens. Is it, doesn't it seem like contradictory here? Maybe. I mean, it said you carry one another's burdens in verse 2. Then, then three verses later it says we're to carry our own load. The reason is there's two different words here in the Greek. And it distinguishes verse 2, the word burden is something heavy, something weighty, something that is unbearable. And then verse 3. Five here, when it's talking about load, it's it's something that's lighter. It's kind of something like it's it's a, a picture of a backpack that you carry. Now I know kids go to school now with backpacks and they got like 500 books in there and they weigh a lot, but still, it's, they can deal with it. They may have a hernia later on or back problems as they get older, but the issue is is they can deal with it, right? The issue is something that we can can't handle ourselves. See, the Bible does the Bible does say that we are responsible. For dealing with part of our own life. Not everything is a burden. And so the problem here, and what it's talking about, is in the Christian community, we have to learn to differentiate between burdens and loads. And some people, I'll just tell you, don't know the difference. For them, have you ever been around a person that everything is a burden? I mean, I tell you, it's one of the reasons that I cringe sometimes by putting my cell phone number on their website. You've got to search for it. It's not right there on the front page. To this week, twice I've gotten calls from people who had thought that, that they had a burden. Really, it was a load. And I'm not going to go into details, but I was... Let me think of a nice word. I, I was straightforward in saying, hey, that's a load. You need to deal with it yourself. Because the thing is here, see, the thing is that so often people will go like, well, you know, you know, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm always carrying other burden, what about freeloaders? What about some people that are, you know, that, well, the Bible tells us there's, there's, there's a distinct, that distinguishes between legitimate and illegitimate need. 
I mean, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, if you want to look at that later, 2 Thessalonians, Thessalonians, that's a mouthful. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, it says, it's talking about, it's warning about idleness. And in the middle of that, this verse you're probably all familiar with, it says, if anyone does not work, they don't eat. That's in the middle of a whole bunch of verses. You have to read it in context, verses 6 through 15 of 2 Thessalonians 3. You can read that about the whole thing of idleness, and it says, so it, it distinguishes between legitimate and illegitimate need. But the some problem is, is that, see, the Holy Spirit begins to work in our life, and we're to help people who have burdens, but we're to, we're to direct people who have loads to carry their load. We are. That's what Scripture's saying here. But the thing is, how do you differentiate between burdens and loads? Let me illustrate. Let's play a game this morning, okay? It's called burdens and loads, okay? Here's a game. I'm going to give you some scenarios, and you've got to determine whether it's a burden or a load. Okay, think you can do that? I know you can. Okay, first one is this. Some guy spends all his money on a lot of tickets and beer and then comes to you because he doesn't have any money. Is that a burden or a load? It's a load, okay? It's a load. It's a load of something. But anyway, it's a load. Okay? Second scenario, a couple is married with three young kids and one of the spouses dies in a car wreck. Burden or load? Burden. See the difference? Let me give you a couple more. Some guy doesn't like his job, and so he misses a lot of work and gets fired, and he has, he's a month behind in writ. Burden or load? Load. We'll give you a tent, man. Go out and, you know, go for it. But they've got to learn to deal. You've know, you got to learn to deal with your own load. And a husband and wife gets married, wife gets pregnant, the husband bails, leaves her with a kid, burden or load? Generally, it'd probably be a burden. An older member of the congregation gets really sick and has a hard time living on their own and can't afford to go into assisted living, burden or load? Burden. See, we've got to learn to distinguish between the two. And the thing is this, we must help people with burdens. That is what the scripture calls us to do. We must Help people with true burdens, who brothers and sisters in Christ, it says. But if we take away the load that a person has, guess what it's going to do? We're doing them a disservice because they will not grow in character. The person who does not carry their own load will, will stay immature because the load that God has placed upon us is given to, given us to strengthen us and to help us to be strong. See, in a real community, what it does, it determines between burdens and loads. And the real community meets the burdens and directs people how to... And we might give advice, but we're not going to take the load away from somebody because that makes persons codependent upon us, to use a psychological term. And that's not healthy and that's not biblical. Then verse 6, and we're going to finish up here. And I kind of didn't even want to cover this verse because as I looked at it, I'm going like, oh, this sounds so self, whatever the word is. Anyway, verse (laughs) 6. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Isn't that a perfect verse for Pastor Appreciation Month? It just happens to be here. I didn't make this up. I didn't look at it beforehand. I didn't know when I got to this was going to be here. And it kind of seems to say, you know, like, you know, if you guys, you know, have St. Louis Cardinal tickets or something, you know, you need to share them with me, you know? You know? (laughs) 
or whatever, you know. And I could, I could say it, you know, and, and, and at several, I looked at several commentators and they said that. It's about, you know, making sure that, you know, it's like, years ago people had this mindset, I don't, you guys don't have this mindset, let's keep the preacher poor and humble, you know, and so, you know, some people were, you know, they were so poor that they were destitute, a lot of pastors, no pastors that have retired that can't afford to retire, and they're in the, uh, if there was a poor house, they'd be in it. But uh, that's not the deal with you guys. You're much more, you know, uh, helpful. And, and, you know, I get Pastor Appreciation Month. I always love it. I get cards and stuff, you know. I, I don't know. Somebody gave this past week, gave my wife and I a, a gift card to um, to Red Lobster. And I don't know who it is. It was anonymous. And so we used it last night. Thank you if you were that person. But... Um, I don't know who it was. So, you know, things like that happen on a regular basis besides Pastor Appreciation Month. But, but that's not exactly... I was trying to ask myself, okay, based upon what that verse says and the context of that, of where it's at, I was trying to think about what it means. And I was sitting and studying at it and looking at it, and I was going, what does it mean? And this is what I believe. This is my best take on what I think in the context, what this verse means in the context of what we just read about. When someone cares enough to instruct you, and it says the instruction is what? In the word. It's not just your opinion. You know, you, you see someone in sin, and you, and you lovingly try to restore them. How do you do it? You do it biblically. It's not your opinions that counts. It's God word, God's word that counts. When someone does that, who cares enough to confront you, What is your typical response when somebody does that? If you're honest, when someone confronts you with sin, how would you normally typically approach it? You would get angry. You might even be offended. And you might go to other people and say, can you believe that so-and-so is judging me? Would that be our typical response? Generally, yes. But what I believe the Bible is saying here is this, that when someone loves you enough to confront you with something in your life that needs fixing, you should be thankful. So thankful that you were willing to share everything with them because that is, they're doing you a great service. They're showing love above and beyond any love that you've ever experienced. So let me ask you a question. Have there been people in your life that care enough to confront you in in your sin. Think about it. If they did, what did they get out of it? They knew you would probably get mad. I can tell you that from personal experience. So why did they do it? Because they actually cared more about your well-being, more uh, more about uh, uh, cared about your than they cared about your friendship. They took a risk and stepped out in love. And you may be angry, and now that you've stepped back from it and are wiser, maybe you need to go back and say, I was a jerk and I was arrogant and I was wrong. I'm sorry. You're caring enough to get in my face. You know, that's what it's saying. In real Christian community, we are connected to each other in such a way that we're not just going around all the time patting each other on the back and saying, oh, you're such a wonderful person. And if it's true, that's great. We do that. We encourage. But when someone steps out of line and is going against God's word and we just let it go on and we know what's going on, that's judging. 
But what the biblical thing is to do is to help restore them to confront a person gently, lovingly, humbly, not because I've got it all together, but because that's the thing God wants us to do because that is the most loving thing that we can do. And when that happens, we may not like it. It may be difficult. But that person has done us a great service. We need people like that in our lives. So what do you do about this? Let me just ask you two things and we're going to close and sing a song and go home. What do you do with this? Number one, I want you to think about this. Do you know someone in sin who is a Christian? Someone who's going in a direction you know is wrong. I want you to pray about what God would have you to do and how he'd have you to approach them humbly, gently, as a friend who cares. And I would challenge you to care more about them as a person than about the friendship. Because it is no friend who lets another person go down the wrong track. Secondly, if someone cared enough to confront you and recently or a long time ago and you got angry and you broke off a relationship because of that and you think back on that now maybe you realize that maybe you need to express thankfulness to them now so I would encourage encourage you to mend that relationship by going to them maybe you call them today don't wait the longer you wait the the least likely you are to do it you know it and I know it But God is calling us to live in that kind of community where we're honest with each other. We love each other so much that we can honestly and humbly confront each other in our sin. So I challenge you to apply God's word to your life this week. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakcc.org.